This is Roots on the Road. I'm Bernice Hembree. And I'm Brian Hembree. We have spent the last 13 years touring the country as musicians and the last 11 building Fayetteville Roots, a music nonprofit based in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Some of our favorite moments involve the thrill of being on stage or seeing an artist in concert for the first time. But for us, the most memorable experiences seem to take place offstage, chatting with musicians about their music, their lives, and what keeps them on the road. We love getting to know musicians and finding out just what makes them tick. Together we sit down with artists, either while touring the country in our Sprinter van or when they pass through Fayetteville for a show. Roots on the Road podcast explores artist-to-artist conversations about making a life in music and the humanity of being a touring musician. No topic is off limits. We invite you to listen in. In December of 2019, Brian and I sat down with Ramble and Jack Elliott. It was pretty epic. It was two days of conversation, two days of hearing Jack talk about walking across history. That's right. And you're going to need a folk encyclopedia for this episode. That's right. He throws these references in that are so very important. He mentions Woody Guthrie in context of a story about a Model A. He mentions uh, the Indian movement and Alcatraz. And he's right there in the middle of it playing a song for a girl in the Birdman of Alcatraz's cell. He mentions Elizabeth Cotton and meeting her and learning about finger picking and learning the cotton picking style. And these are just some of the stories that we edited to put into this episode. We have hours more content of this conversation with Ramble and Jack and hours that weren't recorded when we were on the road going to check out the rodeo grounds of the Ozarks, which he had known about most of his life and couldn't wait to set foot on. I hope you take away from this conversation just how important Ramble and Jack is to our American folk music history and how important of a figure he is in the American culture in general. Yeah, these stories that you hear sometimes about our, our history seem so far removed. But Jack is right there in that history, and he's still right here with us. He's still out there singing, telling stories, and connecting with people. Here's our conversation with Ramble and Jack Elliott. Somebody tell me, answer if you can. Want somebody tell me, what is the soul of a man? I'm going to ask the question. Answer if you can. If anybody here can tell me, what is the soul of a man? Okay. 
done a lot of traveling in my time. Any place, I guess, that you can mention, from Maine to California to Alaska to Europe to Asia. Done a lot of traveling, but nobody I know, and I mean nobody, has covered more ground and made more friends and sung more songs than the fellow you're just about to meet right now. He's got a song and a friend for every mile behind him. Say hello to my good buddy, Ramblin' Jack Elliott. Had some trouble with my sweet orange ball. One of her brothers was a bad outlaw. Sent her a letter by my foot, and I rode away on a Tennessee's drink. Jack, you've been doing this a really long time. Too long. Too long. Yeah, I fell asleep between the second and third song tonight, but well, no, I don't think anybody No one knows. noticed. No one noticed. <laughs> it was a really quick nap, if that's the case. Yeah. I have trouble playing the guitar, too. I'm, I've kind of invented a whole new style of guitar playing where the rhythm changes, and it's where I couldn't quite make, make it to that note in time. Yeah. So then I thought, well, okay, and I'll do... And, and cover up by changing. It sounds like it was a deliberate change in the speed. Or it's you know what? I heard you do that. And you, you did that in that song, uh, South Coast. Yeah. It, and it, ha- it was perfect. You, you had a rhythm going, and then I thought it was part of the song. You get to the part oh, where he wins her in the game. That was a deliberate thing where toward the middle of the song, I, I think it's... I'm going to go to sleep if I keep playing it this slow. I better speed it up a little bit. And I built me a snug little shanty. And I roofed it and floored it with pine. I sat in a card game at Cologne. I started off slow. It's very dramatic, and it's okay uh, at first. Everybody's so fascinated by this amazing story. They don't care what speed it is. But after a while, I think, you got to start waking up the band. That's the thing. I stayed doll against his daughter, Dawn. Dawn. South Coast. Where is the South Coast? Where is that supposed oh, to be? Oh, it's below Monterey. Okay. And Big Sur is right there in the middle of it. That's the Big Sur coast. And the road is about an average of 1,000 feet above the sea. And when it rains heavily, the road washes away, and it takes them between six months and a year or a year and a half to, re- to rebuild the road. And people have to detour around and go 100 miles extra out of their way to get to where they're trying to get. We've done that. We took a goat road when we were out near Big Sur. Yeah. Landslide had happened, and we had a detour over the mountain on a tiny road. When was that? This was probably... Six, seven years ago. That might be the road that goes to Cologne. (laughs) Maybe. I've been to Cologne on a good road from the other side. In fact, that highway is called Holon Road, and there's a green sign on 101 for the turnoff of Holon Road. Hmm. And uh, it starts about a half a mile before you go over the bridge, going if you're going south, uh, just outside of King City. And about 
50 miles south of there, it comes, it goes up into the mountains, goes right by Cologne, goes by an army camp called yes. Camp Hunter Lee. Yes. It's this a is, shooting range. Yeah. Like, yeah. like artillery. Mm -hmm. This is the same <laughs> we drove right through. And there's a, a monastery yes. right in the middle of it. Yeah. And the monastery has one million acres. Yeah. And that's in the middle of Camp Hunter Liggett. I don't know how many million acres that that's camp the place. is. And but it's I beautiful. drove in there one time when some Indians had captured the monastery. Oh, wow. Same, uh, I think it might have been the same group that took over uh, Alcatraz. Alcatraz yeah. later. Yeah. And I visited them in Alcatraz when they were in Alcatraz. How did that go? I serenaded a little girl in the Birdman of Alcatraz's cell, oh. a little three-year-old Indian girl. A friend of mine brought them drinking water. He had a 90-foot Danish uh, commercial sailing vessel that was a, a, what they call a Baltic trader. Mm -hmm. It's a 92-foot catch made of oak. He sailed it across the Atlantic with a paying cargo. It's the first time anybody brought a commercial cargo across the Atlantic in 60 years. 60 tons of scotch whiskey. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and we brought him a deck load of brand-new garbage cans with plastic liners with drinking water because Alcatraz doesn't have water. Hmm. There's no wells. Right, because it's just a rock. Yeah. <laughs> just, just out there in the middle of the water, just a <laughs> solid rock. Well, yeah, I know that place you're talking about because we went up and over the mountain and all of a sudden we saw this sign. It was beautiful, big trees, and it looked like the best farm country, you know, hill farm country you've ever seen. And then all of a sudden there was a sign that was like, watch out for artillery. And we were in an army range, and, 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 and it's, but it's the most beautiful part of California. I drove into the, the, the uh, entrance there, a military gate. I said, I think I'm in the wrong place. I'm looking for a, a monastery. Oh, yeah, that's the next driveway. Go Get out and uh, <laughs> turn right, and it's about a mile up. And I drove in there, and I was told by some Indians I met that were shopping for groceries and medicine down in San, Santa Monica. They said there's a leader of that group was called Quinn, and he uh, never had a college education, but he read law books. And there's on the California law books, it says that the all the uh, Catholic monasteries or... Uh, Mission. What do you call them? Uh, the missions. Missions, thank you. The missions were built to for converting the Indians to Catholicism and to nurture them. And they were, if an Indian is living there, they cannot be evicted. They have a perfect right, legal right, to be living there and cannot be evicted. And uh, they, you have to feed them. That's amazing. They're there, so that's an old law. So Quinn took over the place. So I drove in with my Land Rover, and it was nighttime, and people were having their little campfires down a valley behind the building. And I'm driving around, and I saw people with campfires, and I said, is Quinn here? He said, he's in that Buick. <laughs> and I found a yellow Buick with the motor running. It was a cold night. He didn't have any blankets. And I had one of those cheap 
cotton Indian blankets that they made to sell to the Indians, and they have those because those wool, beautiful wool, wool blankets that the Indians make, they don't get to keep them. They're to sell to the white people. They're worth a lot of money. Uh, so I gave him my Indian blanket. He said, gee, thanks. Nobody ever gave me an Indian blanket. <laughs> Quinn. Quinn. This is not Quinn the Eskimo. No. This is Quinn the Indian. <laughs> so did they, they hung out for a while? Did you stay in contact I with I got them? my guitar and sat in the back seat with the motor running, <laughs> heater on, and sang him a few songs. And that's when I gave him the blanket, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and then I went back into my older home, and I think I slept till morning and then left early in the morning. And about 1953, I went down New Orleans. Perhaps I should say many years ago. It was in the summertime. I went down there with Frank and Guy. We sang and bust our way through the Smoky Mountains and on down to New Orleans. And while we were down there, we, we had the name of a fellow to look up. Billy Thayer was a five-string banjo picker. Lived in a house called 912 Toulouse Street. And the way we found him, well, that was a whole nother song. Let's just say we found Billy Fair. And it took us over there to 912 Toulouse Street. I knew to this place is over a back fence, up, a, up an alley. Jack, you, you've kind of driven across history, right? I mean, I, I, I read this thing that you you uh, bit a big trek down to the south. Was it 1953? That was 53, yeah. You were yeah. going to New Orleans? Well, on that South Coast ballad was Frank singing it, you know, on a crazy rainstorm night with lightning and thunder. And the next time he sang it was in New Orleans when we found Billy Fair, and I wrote that long song about it. I get a lot of requests for it, but I can't do it anymore. The 912 Greens. Yeah, yeah. And, and Billy lived at a place called 912 Toulouse Street. Well, I never did see no banana, bananas hanging on it. As they said, it was a banana tree. And a wooden staircase leading up to a wooden balcony that connected all the various different musicians, different various pads. What, what led you there? You were going to look for Billy? Somebody up north had told us to uh, look for a banjo player in New Orleans named Billy Fair. He was originally from Woodstock, New York. I think he was born in Woodstock, New York. I helped him pour the cement foundation for a house 
build a house, but I never got to see the house. 20 years went by, maybe 30, and I finally got to visit Billy and sleep overnight on a couch in that house where I, I don't even know if that's the same house where I helped him pour the foundation <laughs> or it was a newer place. Right. Because all those years went by. And, I well, never liked Woodstock. Used to go there to visit Bob sometimes. Yeah. My Bell telephone truck ended up in Bob Dylan's driveway. It was, wasn't Bob's house, actually. It was his manager's house, right. Albert. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you leave it willingly, or was it stuck Oh, it there? was broke down. It, yeah. uh, it had, I'd gone all the way to the south of Mexico in it and back with my wife and a cat. <laughs> cat was named after Ian Tyson's wife. Uh, Sylvia, uh, her maiden name was Fricker, Sylvia Fricker. She was from a farm in Ontario. <laughs> and uh, there's a character, Ian and Sylvia loved the music, uh, the uh, humor of a comedian by yeah. the name of uh, Jonathan Winters. Yeah. And one of his characters in his story was Granny Maud Frickert, world's oldest airline hostess. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's the And, uh, you know, because of the name Frickert, and uh, Sylvia's name was Fricker, so Ian used to call her Maud after Maud Frickert, <laughs> the oldest airline hostess. And so in return... Sylvia called Ian after one of the, one of uh, Jonathan Winter's male characters in one of his stories, Ned. So they, they became <clears throat> Ned and Maud, Maudie Frickert. Frickert. Two peas in a pod. Uh, so I called the cat Maud Frickert. <laughs> and we went all down through Mexico. It was a, it was a Siamese cat. <laughs> And in Mexico, they don't seem to have any Siamese cats because every gas station we stopped, the attendant would ask me, ¿Qué animal es? You know, like, es mono? They thought it was a monkey. <laughs> I said, no, he's gatito. It's a cat. Take me ride in the car, car. Oh. Take you ride in the car. I want to go ride in the car. Open up the front door, frick clack, open up the back door, front back, clickety clack, riding in my car. I wanna sit in the front seat, I wanna sit in the back seat, spree, I sprattle on the front seat, riding in the car. So Ian Tyson, he keeps coming up. We need to we need to dig in further to his uh, to his work. We, He's we, a great singer and yeah. a great songwriter. I wrote some really wonderful songs, and a lot of them. He's the everybody's favorite cowboy singer in yeah. Elko. Yeah. But he had a heart attack recently, and he's in very poor health late, lately. And he's been 
up on this ranch in Alberta, and it's freezing cold up there, and he had three old longhorn steers that he was feeding and keeping alive. And he says, I, I got to stay here as long as they're alive. I got to keep feeding them. And he had four or five horses, too, cutting horses. <laughs> and now I hear the, the three steers have all died of old age. But he's still got a few horses, and he's still living up there. I think his son is staying with him. Yeah, we for him. we had we hosted a concert here at the Roots HQ uh, for Fred Eaglesmith. He's you know Fred Eaglesmith. Fred Eaglesmith. He's Canadian. He is Canadian. I and met him once. We did a show. I was with him in a show, Northern New York State, where my wife fell in love with a guild guitar, <laughs> a blonde, big like a J fifty. Yeah, yeah. And I bought that guitar. Nice. And I really Did you buy play. it for yourself or for I her? I bought it for her, but I, I she doesn't really play that much. But I used it in one or two shows, and yeah. I recently gave it to my co-grandpa, Jerry, who has raised my daughter, Ayana. Hmm. It's a long story. It's a long story. <laughs> Too well, sad to tell. Fred, Fred had just been to see Ian. And said said as much about you know he's in decent shape, but he had been to see Ian, and then he drove down here. They drove all the way from he, Ontario. They you, saw Ian. You interviewed him, Fred. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he talked about Ian. He did. He oh, was really. Good. He said it was his favorite singer, but he saw Ian in Ontario. Drove all the way here, played at one show, and then drove down to South Texas, where his wife Tiff is his fam, her family's from, ah. and they had Thanksgiving. And so, and and he was lamenting about. How he used to drive around on the road, and you would see other bands, see other artists, and no one drives anymore, you know? No one does any hard traveling anymore to get to the shows. Anyway, see, Ian Tyson, it keeps coming back up. Sometimes, you know, you have that where it's a month and some name keeps coming back I up. I saw Gordon Lightfoot about a year ago yeah? in L.A. I hadn't seen him in 43 years. Yeah. Last time I saw him was on the Rolling Thunder Review, 1975. Yeah. And he told a couple of stories about me and sang a song that I allegedly taught him. <laughs> Diamond Joe. Yeah. Uh, I know that song. There's a man you'll hear about most anywhere you go. Yeah, you know that. Oh, uh, Diamond Joe. No. I gave up singing and it just was so popular I got tired of it. <laughs> That's the trouble with good songs. Sometimes you just can't do them after And his name is Diamond Joe, and he carries all his money in a diamond-studded jaw. And he never was much bothered by the process of the law. Ramblin' Jack keeps songs like Diamond Joe and Tennessee Stud alive, and that's the work of a true folk singer. But Ramblin' Jack also shares songs of his contemporaries, like he did of Bob Dylan. This next song has deep personal meaning for me. I was standing in the back of the Roots HQ when I heard him start in with this story, and I still shake my head in disbelief that I got to stand and listen to Ramblin' Jack performed Don't Think Twice, which is a song that Brian and I played together the night we met. Well, if Brady was Dodger, Thank you. Thanks for listening. Sure appreciate it. Uh, here's a little song I'd like to 
wind up with. It's, uh, I learned it off a Bob Dylan record one time when I was stuck in a mountain cabin in Pennsylvania in a blizzard. My host uh, had a, a lot of venison and uh, in the freezer, and he had a whole porch full of firewood, so we weren't worried about the snow. We got in there just in time and uh, settled in for a long, cold night. It turned out we couldn't get the door open for three days. We were stuck in there, but he had plenty of firewood, plenty of venison, and one big bottle of Cutty Sark whiskey. <laughs> with a picture of a clipper ship on the label. So uh, we settled in, and he had this Bob Dylan record he put on, and, and uh, I took a little sip out of that Cuddy Sark, listened to the record. It was a song called Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. And I thought, well, maybe it's all right, maybe it ain't all right, but. I had just gone through a similar kind of situation in my own life back a ways and was thinking about it and the song kind of meant something to me so I listened to it again and again and took another sip of that whiskey and had a little bit of that venison and put the record on again and three days went by in a flash. And on the third day it warmed up a little bit and the snow melted and we were able to get the door open. And we jumped in my Bell Telephone truck, which was my motorhome at that time, and drove up to New York City where they were having a, a open mic at uh, Monday night at the uh, Gaslight and it was Mississippi John Hurt's night off. And uh, the usual crowd was assembled in there was Dave Van Ronk, John Wynn, Peter and Paul. I think Mary was out shopping. <laughs> and Bob Dylan, the guy that wrote this song, was there. They were all hanging out in there. It's a small room, only held about 40 people. And there was about 30 unidentified tourists from New Jersey. And it was open mic, so I thought, well, I'll get up and sing my new song that I had just learned. Three days, that's a speed record for me. It usually takes me about three months to learn a song. So uh, I got up there and started playing this song. And of course, the author, Bob, he was there. I, he, uh, he yelled out something to me. He says, I really could you do Jack. I said, I said, what'd you say? He says, I relinquish it to you. So well, I never had nothing relinquished to me before. <laughs> so I've been singing it ever since. And it's been working out pretty good. I, I recognized him when he when he yelled at me, I recognized who it was. He was dark, but there was a little light glinting in from uh, hole in the curtain at the back of the room sort of reflected off of his halo and I recognized yeah. it.
Ain't no use of sudden wonder why, babe Even you don't know by now And it ain't no use to sudden wonder why, babe It'll never do somehow When your rooster crows At the break of dawn Look out your window And I'll be gone You're the reason I'm traveling on But don't think twice It's alright never done before Ain't no use in calling out my name, gal Cause I can't hear you anymore Thinking and I wondered Walking down the road I once loved a woman A child, I'm told I give her my heart But she wanted my soul But don't think twice, it's all right And it ain't no use of turning on your light, baby Cause I'm on the dark side of the road I ain't saying you treated me unkind You could have done better But I don't mind You just kind of wasted my Precious time But don't think twice It's alright Tonight you did Don't Think Twice. That was that was a great, great version. I feel like you've got the definitive version of that song. I was having trouble picking it, finger-picking it, and I, I've been uh, not doing it very much lately because of that. It didn't come out like I was really wanting to do it, but I, can't, I couldn't reach it at all. It was like, oh, it was like... Two feet beyond my reach. <laughs> I know that feeling. Just yeah. right there. But even that, you know, like the, for people who've never seen it or heard it before, they don't know that. And I, I had to c c tell myself, don't worry about that because they probably like what they're hearing. Yeah. Anyway, I wasn't real tickled with the way I did it tonight, but I was amazed. I was proud that I tried to do it because it's 
kind of difficult to do that finger picking. about the bottle I picked up this guy he ends up he wanted to go to his home which was in New Milford Connecticut and I said if you can tell me how to get there I'll take it <laughs> well I brought him to New Milford stayed overnight lived on a farm and he had two cars one was a 1937 Packard touring car and the other one was a 1929 model a Ford US mail truck that still ran. He ended up giving me the mail truck. And then I drove it down to visit my friends in Chevy Chase, Maryland, and they lived right across the street from Libicotton. So I ended up over there visiting the Seegers and met Libba, and she played the guitar and the banjo, and I was so amazed. And I spent two or three days visiting down there and hearing Libba play a little bit each day. And then I went back up to Connecticut. Thank you. And I remembered, I woke up in the middle of the night hearing that sound of her, the way she played, and I grabbed my guitar and started finger-picking. I don't think I'm doing it at all the way she did it. Yeah. But I got to do something with the thumb playing the rhythm, bass rhythm on the two or three bass strings and the melody on, melody on the high strings. And uh, I attribute it to Libba Cotton, but I can't say that it's Libba Cotton style. Yeah. And yeah. some people have branded her style with her name, they call it Cotton Bacon. I saw her way later, and she was about almost a, way over 90 years old and playing a concert in Toronto. And I had there wasn't time to say hello before the show because I arrived late. It was a club that I played in myself a couple of times and never liked it there. But she was doing just fine. But she couldn't remember the words for a freight train, freight train. And so I jumped up on the stage and briefly introduced myself. Hello, Libba, I'm Jack Elliott. You taught me that song. And I s sat down and sang it for her in her place. She was stymied, she was dumbfounded. You know what's crazy? I've never thought about cotton picking 
I've said that so many times and I've heard that a thousand times and never connected it to Liba Cotton. cotton. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they call it cotton picking. I cannot believe that. Yeah, in honor of Liba Cotton. Well, I played it in England and then somebody record at a party and somebody recorded me doing it and they recorded the song claiming that they wrote it. Oh, of And it was a girl named Nancy Whiskey was singing. It became a big hit, made a lot of money. Chaz McDevitt's Skiffle Group. And Chaz McDevitt was the one who claimed to be the author of it. Pete Seeger wrote me a letter. I was in Italy at the time. And he asked me to state that I had learned the song from Libba Cotton in 19... 51, and it was uh, 1956 when he stole it from, you know, when he recorded it at the party. And I went to a notary public in Italy and had my letter notarized and mailed to Pete Seeger. <laughs> and there was a, 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 a trial or a, a lawsuit for the uh, ownership of the song. And the judge awarded Chas McDevitt 50% of the royalties, oh. and Libba Cotton got 50% of the royalties from his hit record of Freight Train. Jeez. And he opened a coffee house called Freight Train Coffee. <laughs> Chas McDevitt's Freight Train Coffee House. <laughs> and we went to visit him. We got back from Italy. We were back in England went to, sit to uh, visit that coffee house where I'd never been before. He greeted me. He said, hello, Jack. Uh, wh when are you leaving? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I made him nervous. All I want to do is to get back to you. Connection. I just can't make no connection. All I want to do is to get back to you. Everything is going in the wrong direction The doctor wants to give me more injections Give him a shot for a thousand rare infections And I don't know if they let me go Connection, I just can't make it connection All I want to do is to get back to you you talked about how you uh, you one time rode in a freight car, and you said yeah, it was, was you didn't ever do it again. Box car, yeah. scared me a lot. Well, I wouldn't have done it then, but I was trying to hitch a ride up north. I was going to be playing at a college in New York State with Josh White, yeah, who I'd only met once before, and the gig was all arranged, but. I had driven Woody down to Florida in my Model A, which didn't run very well, and I ended up giving him the car. And I think he ended up giving it away to some neighbors because he couldn't get the damn thing started. That was another $25 Model A that I bought, my second one. And that was after you uh, threw the rod on the first one? Yeah. The second one I was a two-door, T-U-D-O-R, Model A two-door. <laughs> like Tudor? Yeah. yeah. The first one I had was a four-door. It was $25. second one I got in a junkyard for $25. <clears throat> the 
The third Model A was one uh, in California I bought for $15. took me 10 days to get it right. That's another story. But uh, the Texas trip, I hitchhiked out through Texas on my way to upper New York State because I had about three weeks to kill. It was my first time in Texas. Drove a semi on the way in there. We get up to New York, played that concert with Josh White, and he drove me to New York City in his Lincoln Continental. I was losing the track of what the, what the question was. Oh, we were talking about the, the freight car, but oh, I think what's yeah. you were you were talking about the Texas semi story, and we I heard you talk about that today when we were out at the rodeo grounds or driving back from the rodeo grounds, and you were saying that you you got in the semi with this guy. And Jack Manchak. Yeah, and you uh, didn't know that he played guitar, That's and you right. weren't interested in guitar because you wanted to drive the semi. Yeah, and you talked him into letting you drive, even well, though he didn't know no you. Well, it was no problem. I said, uh, you know, like, uh, can you uh, use a little help driving? And he said, yeah. And I said, I've driven only two semis. I like learning to drive a semi. He says, you can drive it. Because he knew he was going to get tired between <laughs> Florida and Houston. He could use a little help. So I went to sleep immediately because I had already hitchhiked 100 miles down there to find a truck ride south of Jacksonville down to this place called, uh, I can't remember the name of it. But uh, I slept all the way across the middle of Florida and woke up where on the West Coast he pulled over to a wide spot on the road and was was only down to about 20 miles an hour. And he says, are you ready to drive? And I, he woke me up, you know, and I thought, yeah. And he slid out from under the wheel. It was uh, not bucket seats. It was one bench seat like in a pickup. He slid out from under the wheel, and I slid up under the wheel and started driving. We never stopped the truck. It oh, was, my god! going along in low gear. <laughs> no oh time to gosh. stop. And so I drove that white all the way to, to Houston. Well, we took turns. I did about two, three hours at a time. And you had your guitar with you. Yeah, yeah. the guitar was in the back shelf. You but could, you didn't you play could, it? I didn't play it at all on the trip. And so you, you told me today that you, you ran into him or caught up with him like 20 years 20 later? 20 or 30 years later. I, I remembered his name. I looked him up in the phone book, called him up. Jack Manchak? Yep. I says, I'm, I'm Jack Elliott. You gave me a ride to, and I helped you drive your white. Do you still have that white truck? It was a turtle note white. It was painted gray. Yeah. No, I sold that. I, I bought a Peterbilt, and then I wrecked the Peterbilt up in the Lost my brakes going down a big hill in Idaho. I haven't been trucking much lately. Oh, yeah, well, I ended up, he invited me to come over to his house. He made me a salad and a hamburger, and he played my guitar, and I didn't know the guy could play a guitar. <laughs> I didn't remember that. I've seen it all, boys. I've been all over. Jack, if you were going to estimate how many miles you've been on, how many miles would you estimate? Driving semis? Driving semis, driving just, Model A's. Just driving. Oh, driving motorhomes. How many miles? How many miles? Oh, gosh, I, I never could figure that out. 
But I started hitchhiking when I was uh, 15 and ended up getting a job dry, grooming horses on a traveling rodeo, the J.E. Ranch Rodeo and Wild West Show. And that was a clown on that show, played, played banjo and guitar. His name was Bramer Rogers. He was from Tyler, Texas. And he sang like, like uh, Grandpa Jones. And uh, when I got home to my parents' house, which I eventually had to go back, there was another rodeo clown on that show that gave me my first cigar and told me to write a letter to my parents. He says, you know, you might like being a cowboy. You might not like being a cowboy. If you stay here, you ain't gonna be nothing but a cowboy. And if you go back and finish, get your high school diploma, you can do anything in the world you want to do, including cowboy. And I hope my pony, I hope my pony, I hope my pony knows the way back home. Well, Jack, thank you for being here tonight. Thanks for coming back to the Thank Ozark. Thank you for having me, and thanks again for taking me up to the rodeo grounds. There. That was the best part. I, I love taking you up there. I, I had known about the rodeo the Ozarks my, probably my whole life. I'm sorry there wasn't any livestock <laughs> there. I know, it was well, pretty yeah, empty. Next time you come, it, it should be in the, in the summer when the rodeo's yeah, going yeah, let's on. Let's go to the rodeo. That'll be a different experience. <laughs> I had a, a similar experience. Ramblin' Jack is a songwriter, song collector, song interpreter, and world-class conversationalist. I've heard it told that he didn't get his name because of all his hard traveling, but because of how he tells his stories. And I like that. Jack has a lot of stories to tell us. We are all damn lucky that he does. Jack is a bona fide national treasure. He reminds us that folk music isn't just a song on a record, but also the story behind it and the people behind it and that passing that song and story on to those willing to listen is the folk tradition. Thank you, Jack. We'll see you out there, out there on the open road of life. I got it up to 60 miles an hour. I down there for a couple hours couldn't see everything if I didn't. And I was wearing my little jockey cap. With the green and I took a picture of me in the chair. Looked like Cisco Houston. He had a guitar with him. A mustache. Would you like to go out afterwards and get something to eat? This episode was recorded on location at the Roots HQ. If you want to learn more about Ramble and Jack Elliott, you can find his information on the website rambleandjackelliott.com. This episode was edited and produced by Josue Garcia at the Roots Studio in Fayetteville. This season of Roots on the Road is sponsored by Tyson Family Foundation, Tito's Vodka, Adventure Subaru, and Experience Fayetteville. 
Fayetteville Roots is a 501c3 organization with a mission to connect community through music and food. We produce the Fayetteville Roots Festival. Operate the Roots HQ, a historic venue on the Fayetteville Square. We foster support opportunities for musicians and for our music community. And lead year-round music and food programming in Northwest Arkansas and beyond. Learn more at FayettevilleRoots.org. And she warbles as she flies 